This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige and engineering first. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train the way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. Bonjour and welcome to an absolute banger of an episode on the world's best construction podcast. I'm your host, Fred Mills, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Luke Bly and Liam Marsh. Let's come to Luke first this week. How you been, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all, mate. Um, People were very jealous of me last week because I got to meet up with um, the one and only Fred Mills and go for a cheeky coffee go for some lunch and then we um hit up a rooftop bar didn't we mate at the novotel canary wharf which i took you to so it was beautiful mate beautiful did you enjoy yourself i did i should say this was a business meeting as uh as as downing street would say it was a business meeting okay it was a business lunch business coffee business architecture tour but it was good mate it was really good really good to chat podcasts really good to check out one park drive my possibly Mm. my favorite london skyscraper and yeah, thanks for the introduction to a, a cheeky rooftop bar. Like Luke Bly plus rooftop bar plus skyscrapers. Doesn't get better than that, I don't think. It was pretty good, wasn't it? It was pretty good. And um, yeah, that that 10 part drive, mate. Oh my days. That one is, part drive. is one part on. drive. <laughs> oh, well. Come on, mate. Get it right. Get it right. <laughs> Come on, mate. <laughs> we know I know that one. Now, Liam, Luke was uh, Luke was gossiping about you behind your back the whole time. He's obsessed with you, mate. Can you believe it? I'm bitty as mate. I am obsessed. I am obsessed with Liam. What's, what's he been saying? <laughs> Can't tell you. Can't tell my podcast, mate. I'll tell you afterwards. Mm. All sorts right. of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, um, stop, Luke. God, Liam, how's it going down under, mate? Sunshine. Good of it. Yeah, it, well, it has been, mate. It has been. I actually, um, I have a, had a pretty interesting weekend. I actually ended up at a gay nudist beach on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Sorry, how? Talk us through it. How did you accidentally end up <laughs> somewhere right. like that? I know, mate. I it, it was it was pretty random. So we were like, oh, let's go, let's go check out a new beach. Me and my partner. <laughs> Drove down to a place called uh, Kong Wong Beach. Went down there. There's loads of families, loads of kids. And we were like, oh, you know what? There's a there's another little bay that I saw when we're parking the car. And you just go through like a national park over a hill. So like, let's go there. It looks pretty quiet. And um, as we're walking there, we're walking like walking down the stairs. There was a lady behind me. And she said, um, oh, wow, it's really, it's really quiet down there. Um, everyone must be at Mardi Gras. I was like, that's, that's a weird it's a weird thing to say why why a beach should be quiet because of that. Anyway, we go down there, we get down in the sand, and um, I look around, and it's just I just notice like loads of naked people, especially blokes, just cruising around the beach everywhere. <laughs> I looked at my partner, and I was like, oh, whatever, like who cares? It's, it's obviously a nudist beach. Put our stuff down, and then go for a swim. Well, hang on, Come so back it's up. obviously a nudist beach, but you put your stuff down. Stay. <laughs> yeah, mate. I mean, whatever, you know pretty open-minded hey. i was just like hey go for it the beach was beautiful like white yellow sand crystal clear water little boats just anchored off just off the shore very very picturesque so we go for a swim we come back up we start drying off and um my my partner's like are you hungry do you want some fruit or something i was like yeah yeah i'll grab a I'll grab a banana so I grab a banana and as i'm about to, <laughs> as i'm about to take a bite i look there's, there's two guys about two meters away from me, butt naked. And as I'm about to have a bite, I just notice he's got the biggest uh, one of those like Prince Albert piercings. <laughs> so I turned, I turned, and I said to I said to my partner, I was like, "Hey, 
I reckon we're at a gay beach, a gay nudist beach. <laughs> my, my missus is like, yeah, we definitely are. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to say. <laughs> Thank you for telling that story on the podcast, mate. That's, that's a construction, a construction podcast. Yeah, <laughs> if, this is your first, if this is your first foray into the world's best construction podcast, thank you for clicking. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you're going to get. I should say, nothing wrong with a gay nudist speech, just that Liam uh, is not gay or a nudist, so um, probably didn't fit in. I, I bet they, I I they love your abs, though, mate. Yeah, I I loved yeah. your little CrossFit-toned body, but you went down a storm. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure, mate. I mean, there's some pretty pretty ripped dudes down there <laughs> well i don't think we can top that guys that's probably the best intro to the podcast we've ever had um we know, we know how liam's sleep week has been um that's what he moving said, quickly on. On. He, got <laughs> he wiped me up he no, wiped the banana up. no I'm, i swear man i swear i was about to have a bite and i was like it's a shiny thing. And I was like, oh, jeez, man. <laughs> uh, moving on, moving on. We have actually got a really good episode for you today. Um, <laughs> nudist beaches aside. Um, before we do that, before we do that, I want to give a special shout out again to my mates at Finnair. It's now been four weeks since they lost my bag. Bag has not reappeared. Uh, it's getting very frustrating now. If you if you have lit a candle, if you've been to a local church or cathedral and prayed, I appreciate that. Um, please keep my bag in your thoughts and minds. And if you see it around Heathrow Terminal 3 in the baggage claim system, <laughs> please let me know. That'd be much appreciated. Shout out to Finnair. They're at, I think they're at Finnair on Twitter, in case anyone wants to give them some special love from Fred Mills. Um, also, special shout-out to the the guy who's impersonating me on Instagram, who I want to shout-out as well, which has been reported. So I've had hundreds and hundreds of messages from people being like, hey, this guy is like a con. He's taking all your pictures. He's trying to like impersonate you. He's trying to get money out of people. And this happens quite a lot, right? So I, I report them. They get taken down pretty pretty quickly. This one seems to have stuck, right? So... It's this account which is at Fred underscore Mills, but the Fred is spelt with two Ds, not one D. <laughs> My official account has got one D, just so we know. I'm at Fred underscore Mills. Uh, but he blocked me and the B1M and tomorrow's build, so we couldn't see it. But we found it through on my mate's accounts. Uh, and loads of people have reported it. So if you're on Instagram, please report this little what's it. That'd be much appreciated. And show Finnair some love. Right, that's enough of me <laughs> whipping up whipping up stuff online let's get into the episode so this week we have got the 27 billion dollar railway through a mountain a very cool video that came out on the b1m yesterday we have got saudi arabia's cube shaped skyscraper this is absolutely insane and i cannot wait to talk about that the very divisive 15 minute city debate that's currently raging around the world china's angled skyscrapers designed by bjark ingles and we're going to finish the whole thing off by seeing what emails Luke has fabricated this week. Let's go. First this week, we are talking about the $27 billion railway through a mountain, but you can't guess what this is about. Title kind of, uh, kind of does what it says in the tin. Bit of context for you. If you want to travel between two of the biggest cities in France and Italy, it might look quite simple at first because they're only a few hundred kilometers apart. This is Lyon and Turin, only a few hundred kilometers apart. But there is a small matter of a pretty big mountain range in the way, the Alps. It takes around four hours to cross the mountain. Much of this route was built centuries ago and is no longer up to international standards. The, one of the most interesting bits of the route is the Freyjuice Tunnel, which was opened back in 1871 and at the time became the world's longest rail tunnel, but today basically it's not wide enough. It's also very high up the mountain because they built it through, if you imagine the cross-section of a mountain, it's wider at the bottom and thinner at the top. They built it through the smaller, thinner part of the mountain, so there was less digging, less tunnelling to do. But that means the trains have to climb the tracks and any train tracks with a slight incline mean trains have to slow down and they take longer to climb. 
there was that lovely little sketch we did in the female belt tunnel video about how trains need a certain distance to climb up tracks so basically you've got two big cities in france and italy Lyon and turin uh, a very long convoluted route convoluted route between them and what's now being constructed is a new tunnel a new railway to make this connection easier and boost mm. the wider european economy first takes some hot takes what do you guys think of this video loved it mate i love seeing uh tbms in, in our videos lately i've learned a lot over the last sort of six weeks <laughs> i can't believe it's got seven <laughs> in them as well which is uh which is pretty fascinating one's called federica um, yeah <laughs> i know did you did you like that name i, I noticed you gave it a little it. compliment in the video hell yeah mm. yeah 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 it's pretty it's yep. pretty impressive it's it's pretty crazy that it's uh i noticed it's 800 meters deeper than the original train line so they're literally going right at the base which is pretty impressive i also love it how um just going on to the boring stuff how they're the, not the boring stuff the actual the tunnel boring um, we got it how they're using <laughs> you got it good they're using <laughs> um dynamite and tbms because they don't know they can't actually test the rock surface down there because it's so deep i found that insanely interesting yeah, it's 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 projects like this that just screams like the B1M. It really, really does. You know, we got a bit of everything in this video, didn't we? You know, you've got like the engineering side of things. You've got the kind of greater European ideology. And with that, you've got economics. You've got politics even. Um, some local people aren't necessarily happy about it, which actually I'm a bit surprised at. Um, there, there's a lot going on in this topic and the fact that, you know, the B1M team and you guys were able to like condense it into this video was really, really, really impressive. But no, I, I, th there's a lot to go, to go on with this, right? There's a lot to go yeah. on, but just, just at face value, it's super impressive that you can get from, that you'll be able to get from Turin to Lyon in such a quick amount of time compared to what it is now. Yeah, people might be thinking, what's the need to get from Lyon to Turin? I haven't ever encountered that problem before, but this is all part of a wider transport corridor across Europe. So there's this thing called the Trans-European Transport Network. Again, a slightly more exciting name, does what it says on the tin. It's to ease transport and travel of freight and people across Europe to boost economies across the European continent. There is the ScanMed corridor we spoke about before, which goes from Scandinavia down to the Mediterranean. That's where you'll find projects like the Brenner-based tunnel through the French Alps, sorry, through the Swiss Alps, mm. um, and, and well, multiple countries' Alps, actually. Then you've got things like the Urusen Crossing, the Thiemann Belt Tunnel, all projects that are designed to make that route easier. This is the east-to-west route from kind of Poland over to Spain, and this is a key part of that that route. So it may sound like a kind of nondescript kind of two random cities to be linking but there's a bigger game at play here should say this railway right so it's 270 kilometers between Lyon and Turin it's being called the Lyon Turin railway again not a great name with <laughs> someone said we're building a railway between these two cities what should we call it the Lyon Turin railway inspired inspired stuff 70% of the route is in France, 30% is in Italy. Whole thing is due to finish in 2032, but it's a major infrastructure project, so who knows? Maybe add 10 years to that. Toughest part of the whole route is this 57.5 kilometer tunnel, 57.5 kilometer tunnel called the Montsenis Base Tunnel, which when it finishes is going to be the world's longest single rail tunnel, narrowly beating the Brenner Base Tunnel and the Gotthard Base Tunnel, I think one of them by like 500 metres, so it's not, not a big deal. Now, these things are called base tunnels because, as, as Liam alluded to, they're going through a much deeper part of the mountain. So they're called base tunnels because they go through the lower part, the base of the mountain, and that's what makes them so long because they have to go through extreme amounts of, of rock. The benefit is that you are taking a more direct route, you keep the train route flatter, straighter it's easier to run high-speed trains the route becomes quicker at the end of the day but my goodness me does it create a feat of engineering you're literally digging through the bottom of a mountain for 57 kilometers solid rock yeah it's astonishing isn't it it's unreal mate it's it's absolutely unreal and i think um i i mentioned a second ago like the importance uh for something like this in in europe really can't be like um overstated 
Um, it's worth noting that Turin and that part of like northwest Italy, that's kind of the industrial. I think it's called the industrial triangle of Italy, right? So it's Turin, I think, uh, and two two other cities that that escape escape me at the moment. But um, you know, you've got big corporations like Fiat that are based in Turin, and it just it makes a lot of sense for everyone that it's passenger and freight rail as well going to France and then from France it's not just like going to Lyon it's then able to go beyond that isn't it it's able to go easily to places like Germany or even the UK um, in let's be honest hours from Lyon so it goes to show that a tunnel like this you've got all the engineering behind it and all the amazing technical stuff but it really is affecting like the European continent as a whole. Um, I thought it was interesting, mate, that um, the, the the funding of it. How much did you say was um, in France? Like most of well, it, more of it's in France. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> swing back to the detail of the engineering, which is interesting. But you're right; okay. the, the wider impact of this is is huge. It's going to take two hours off the journey time between these two cities. They reckon it could take over a million trucks off the road, which is going to cut CO2 emissions by 3 million tonnes a year. There's some big, big benefits here, right? Mm. Uh, Rewinding a bit, I did say 70% of this line happens to be in France and 30% is in Italy. Whole thing is going to cost $27 As it happens, the Monsigny base tunnel is going to be a $9 billion uh, chunk of that. 40% 40% of the money is coming from the EU. So the whole, this is all the countries in the EU chipping into one central budget. Uh, 40% of that money is coming from the EU because the idea is it's going to benefit the wider uh, European mm-hmm. Union and the EU continent. Italy are putting in 35% and France are putting in 25%. So <laughs> France are getting they've most of the railway here, but not a lot of the money. So. <laughs> they've got they've got a really good deal here, France. I was kind of thinking, I, I was even thinking, to myself, I was like, have they got that right? Is that right? If France are getting most of it and they're only putting in 25%, France is a bigger country, bigger economy than Italy, but no, Italy's, I don't know. I, I wonder how that was calculated. Sounds like they're doing a, who was it that got a really Sweden. good deal? They're doing a Sweden. Swedish move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why Italy hasn't started their, their side of the tunnel yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We should yeah. say about about ten percent of this has been constructed so far on the French side. Uh, Italy haven't appointed any contractors yet, so it takes it's it's. <laughs> sorry, yes, yeah, sorry, not ten percent. Ten kilometers, ten kilometers of the fifty-seven point five ah. has been dug on the French side so far. Italy haven't actually put a spade in the ground yet on the actual Montigny base tunnel bit. So um, maybe they'll just sit back and let the French do the whole thing. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, keep going, keep going, lads. <laughs> oh, you come out in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Do these um, does boring these uh, t- in this type of terrain take longer than what we've discussed in Sydney and then the in in Germany, the female belt tunnel? This obviously takes a lot longer, right? Yeah, it does, and that's largely down to the fact that it's a bloody long distance. You're going through much tougher material, solid rock. But also, there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, there's unknowns in any digging and anything, any construction you do below ground, you've got unknowns. You can do you can do soil tests, you can do investigations till the cows come home. At the end of the day, you, you're going to find something, whether that's uh, you know aquifers or unexpected soil types or uh, a body or some sort of Indian burial ground or you know an ancient sword from 1066, or whatever. It, all, all that stuff can go on if you if you dig in below ground. Worst and most dangerous thing is obviously cables, identified cables that aren't on uh, electrical plans. That sort of stuff is very, very dangerous. Sewers, water pipes. Um, probably everyone's got a story about stuff like that. This is taking them a lot longer because part of it, and this is said by the guy in the video, they have to kind of dig before they dig. So there's a lot of investigation going on. There's a lot of, you know, you're not actually going to know what you're going to encounter in the middle of this mountain until you actually get into the middle of the mountain. Now, they know a lot about the geology of the area, the history of the area, but the fact is no one's ever been in the middle of this mountain. So you're not going to know until you get there, mm-hmm. which is where I come back to all this stuff around the risk and the timescales and the money. It feels like there's a lot of money and a lot of time allocated to this, but, and I should say, there's no delays at the minute. They're on time. It wouldn't surprise me if this ends up being over budget and a bit late. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of 
there's a lot of factors in this, isn't there? There's a lot of factors in this. And I, 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 I was even thinking before we jumped on recording, I was thinking, am I just like a little bit biased when it comes to infrastructure? Do I just enjoy seeing new infrastructure, new projects? Um, and there, there, there's probably some truth to that. Like I do just genuinely like new projects and seeing things come to fruition. So does that affect like how I look at like new projects like this? Because I was weighing up to myself. I was like, is this worth it? Is this worth it for France? Is it worth it for Italy? Is it worth it for Europe? And maybe even beyond that. And um, again, maybe it's my bias, but I was thinking, no, this seems worth it. Like this seems like a smart, this seems like a smart investment to me, you know, even just some of those, um, some of the data you got, you, you put in the notes for it, like cutting journey times, um, being able to uh, send more freight between that industrial heartland of Italy and France and beyond. Um, but it, it, it just takes a lot of work to get there. And I suppose that's the, that's the big question, isn't it? Is, it, it, is, is it worth it? And there's also a lot of people who do, well, I say a lot. I don't really know what the how to quantify it, but there there is opposition to to this, isn't there? To this project, like every big infrastructure project. But I I, I didn't really see, you know, I didn't really see where their point was. Like they say, environmental impact. Well, we know this tunnel is going to save on the environment, isn't it? I don't know. Like, what would you think on the opposition? I think it's it's the quintessential infrastructure project. We've had this conversation before almost with every major infrastructure project. I mean, HS2 jumps to mind, the big debate we had around that a few podcast episodes ago. Mm. You know, it, the, the question, is it worth it, is one that frames every single infrastructure project on this planet. And the truth is, for massive infrastructure projects like this, for the current generation, it isn't worth it. It's a lot right. of time, a lot of money, a lot of hassle, a lot of pain for the current generation. You know, the construction on this thing is 10 years. It's going to be at least another 10 years, 20 years after that, before you see the full economic benefit. This is something that is built for future generations, not our generation. Just as much of the infrastructure we benefit from today was built with a lot of pain, money, and suffering by previous generations. That's how it goes. Um it's easy to look at any infrastructure products and say, you know, yes, we can see the long-term economic plan, the economic argument, but right now it doesn't feel worth it because there's loads of money going into it. We need to spend money on other things. But I, yeah, the, the, prob- the problem is this is, we've had this conversation before in terms of like politics, current issues, economic cycles. These projects naturally span decades and you can't look at them through the lens of current events. I agree. I'm always... I'm, I'm 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 always pro. I I, I completely I completely agree, and I'm always pro these sort of big projects. I'm just wondering if I'm I'm just like, oh, is it because I like these <laughs> these big projects and I like talking about them? Do you know what I mean? And I like the look of them. I like the photos. Do you think something like this is because I think one of the concerns was just um, the economics, right? They're like, look, it just doesn't it doesn't weigh up. This is just costing way too much money. And we're not going to see the benefit of it. Do you think that? Do you think there's a good point there? Uh, no, to be honest, because I, I, yes, it is. It is expensive. It is a lot of money. Right. The benefits, the economic potential, far outweighs anything else. Mm. Wasn't a lot of pushback because they think there should be more investment into local things like hospitals and things like that. In, in these towns, uh, 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 we mentioned that, right? So there might be mm. obviously a big push in that area. I mean, you, who knows what the current situation is of the local amenities and things like that, right? Mm. Yeah, and there's there's a, there's concern about environmental impacts as well. There's stuff around it destroying the area. I don't quite see how it destroys the area because you're digging underneath the area, very deep <laughs> underneath the area, not not really going into it. Um, <laughs> But again, like it's natural and it's right in a way. This is a lot of public money being spent. It's EU money being spent, which, as we know in the UK, anything that ever went to the EU budget was always a centre of kind of outrage and and debate and discussion. So you can always say, well, that there's more things public money should be spent on right now. Obviously, hospitals, schools are particularly emotive. There is an argument there, hundred percent. But 
I don't know. I th- there's also an argument for a big infrastructure projects. They may not be as immediate, but they're longer term investments that do pay off. And they're different pots, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? It's like saying, oh, you know, why are we fixing our roads or why are we fixing like um, internet um, cables and stuff when our hospitals could do with the money? It's like, hang on, you're talking about <laughs> you're talking about two different things here with different budgets. There, there could be some merit to them. But, you know, that is, to me, that's always like, that almost feels like a stretch when you're going, oh, well, you know, why are you fixing infrastructure when you could be putting it into hospitals? And, and you know, we in the UK, we're familiar with that sort of slogan, aren't we? Why put <laughs> we money are. there? We could be putting it into, yeah, we're familiar to that. And it doesn't always work out like that, does it? I like that um, I, I, I looked on the, um, on, online at this. And someone said, like, critics of the no TAV, which is the movement, you know, against this, have basically been characterized as a NIMBY group, so not in my backyard, like, movement. And it feels a little bit like that. And I, and I, thought, I thought the same thing with the, um, the Fairman, is it Fairman? Fairman yep. Belt? I, I, I felt the same, I felt the same there. It's like, is it that it's really negative and it's or is it just you don't really want this massive infrastructure project in your back garden which i get but it it outweighs the benefits outweigh surely right surely i don't know i i can't see many negatives about this other than obviously it's going to cost a lot but that's what infrastructure is and it's an investment in it it's a long-term investment so yeah i think we'll we'll come on to this later and we chat about the 15 minute city stuff but i Mm. think it's it's very easy to just dismiss those groups and say, oh, they're all they're all just crazy protesters. They'll whinge about anything. I think it's important that when we say this in the female belt video, it's important that we listen to those people because they've lived in these areas their whole lives. They know these areas better than any construction team do. We need to listen to them, take their advice on board, take their feedback on board, and make improvements where we can. I'm not saying we cancel the whole projects. There is a proper debate that needs to have around happen around that, mm. but. I think just sidelining them, shutting them out is not the way to go. You need to engage, you need to listen, you need to educate uh, in both directions. And I, I genuinely think uh, the, world would be, the world would be a lot better if we all listened to each other a bit more and engaged rather than confronted quite so often. But anyway, that's, that's me and my, me and my uh, little pedestal there. Swinging back to the engineering. Swinging back to the engineering. I want to talk about this because there's some really cool stuff going on. We've obviously got the uh, the fantastically named TBM Federica, which we, lo- we like that. Um as Liam said, they are using seven TBMs in total uh, across different parts of the tunnel. Some of it's being done by the drill and blast method. Uh, in case you don't know what that is, it means a bit of drilling and a bit of blasting. I've simplified oh. that, but it's it's explosive. It sounds good. Um, now, they're also digging these ventilation shafts, right? So you can't just dig a tunnel this long through a mountain. You have to have... There's all kinds of service routes. There's an emergency escape tunnel. There's... Uh, ventilation shafts that go vertically from this tunnel up through the mountain and come out on top. Though some of those are 500 meters deep. Now, that is taller than the Shanghai World Financial Center. If you're in New York City at the minute and you're looking at One World Trade Center, you're looking, it's the tallest building in the city. You can see it from probably anywhere. The pinnacle of that building, the top of that spire that you can look at, wow. is 514 meters high. So that is basically the same height as one of these tunnels being dug vertically down through the mountain for ventilation. It's absolutely incredible. We have got some really good videos in the sorry, we've got some really good visuals in the video about this as well, explaining how it's done. They basically drill this narrow hole into the tunnel from above. So they drill down from above and then attach uh, what is called like a special a special circular cutting head to it that then rotates and bores upwards through the shafts which is called a raise boring machine fascinating stuff pretty cool right mm. yeah that's so cool where does the um rubble go does that just fall out the bottom as they're boring or does that get sort of i can't imagine it'd be sucked up will it i think it must just fall out the bottom and be collected but but once you get to like 500 meters dropping a rock from that height down a shaft <laughs> is not not a great idea so there must be some kind of like yeah catchment system that carries it away again i'm gonna look into that now i don't, I don't know. Know. classic classic liam question that <laughs> <laughs> we didn't classic. explain it I I like, where, does, where does it go <laughs> I, I i beat myself up because liam always asks such good 
obvious, yeah. straightforward questions. I'm like, oh, I haven't thought about it. I don't know. We can't answer. Yeah, on Google, Thanks, mate. mate. Have a quick Google. <laughs> <laughs> Bear with me. Talk about the nudist beach again. <laughs> I'll be two minutes. <laughs> How do they? Um, sorry, another question on that, which oh. I, I want to know. How? So these these these, these um, essentially air vents, right? Um, how are they going to lay the interior of them? It'll be cemented, I'm assuming, or they drop like um, prefabricated sort of units in there and stack it up. How are they going to? How are they going to do that, Fred? Again, Liam, another great question. Don't know the answer to. <laughs> so, <laughs> in a horizontal in a horizontal tunnel with a with a TBM tunnel boring machine, which has had a lot of exposure on this podcast lately. We've done quite a few tunnels this year already. Um, they, they're basically, there's a, there's a circular cutting head that moves forwards, and then there is a conveyor belt behind the cutting head that takes soil back up to the surface off the off the tunnel boring machine, through some pipes, back up to the surface to a spoil heap or something like that. And then along the sides of the tunnel boring machine, there is uh, this, this kind of mechanism that basically puts the tunnel segments in against the wall as the machine moves forward. So the the tunnel is constructed as it's being dug, which is incredibly safe for people inside it. It's very difficult for a tunnel like that to collapse. Mm. Some of the, the very old tunnels, the old sort of mining tunnels, you know, think the Great Escape were deadly because at any moment things could things could fall in and collapse. It's still mm. a risk, but it's massively reduced with the tunnel boring machine method. And actually, when we were down the HS2 tunnel, there were these huge trucks bringing more you know fresh concrete segments down the tunnel all the time to load onto the tbm to put against the walls because this thing was going forward by like 20 24 meters a day so yeah that, that takes a lot of concrete there were these whole concrete plants up on the surface that were making these segments that were then being taken down this tunnel uh, out of daylight forever and put in place i would imagine that with a raised boring machine and a vertical tunnel, it's a similar thing. There's some sort of like concrete spraying going on or some kind of stabilization for the soil you've just dug or the, the, the rock you've just dug. But as ever, it's a classic Liam Marsh question that I don't have the answer to that I'm now guessing at. Thanks, mate. Definitely. <laughs> well, if, any, if, any, if anyone's listening that, that knows the exact details, please feel free to email in. Um, when, you, when you mentioned HS2, it made me chuckle, mate. I, um, I was watching Clark's farm uh, the second season the other day, and there was an episode where he was he needed to concrete um, like his car park for his guests, and he was moaning and he said, um, "You know, you can't get any concrete in this country because it's all being used on HS2." Cracked me up. <laughs> Made me laugh so much. Anyway, guys, let us know what you think about uh, the twenty-seven billion dollar railway through a mountain. This is this is blimmin' awesome. The old Leon Turin railway needs a better name. In the, the LTR maybe would be an improvement. Uh, um, do we know who's famous in Leon and Turin? Who do we know along Fiat. the route? Fiat, the Fiat Tunnel. Well, Michael Caine sponsored, doesn't it? Call it the Michael Caine Tunnel. I know, I know. Leon has some of the most amazing food in France. I know that about it. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, all right, Liam. Liam. And I do know that they they're not open like Monday, Tuesday. I don't even think Wednesday, like during the day. I, I went there on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> Nothing was open. Yeah, we, we we went to we did eat, end up eating some food, obviously on um on Tuesday night and Wednesday. But yeah, it was it was, it was quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we always They're get little tidbits of Liam's Liam's journeys <laughs> to <way> around <laughs> Europe. There was no nudist speech in that one, so I was quite relieved. Yeah. <laughs> So I've just googled famous people from Turin. Uh, sorry, from Lyon. There's there's no one. There's all, there's all there's all kinds of French people I've never heard of. Right, never heard of in my life. Hang on, let's try Turin. Let's try Turin. If Fred's Who never heard of them, if Fred's never heard of them, then it don't count. Don't count. Don't probably, count. probably all sports people. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they were historic characters. There was like King Louis or something. No, no one from Turin. Well done, mate. Yep, that was a good little uh, segment. Some <laughs> <laughs> riveting content. Oh, me. Let us know what you think of the whole thing altogether. An astonishing feat of engineering. I'm really proud we've covered this. 
send in your comments send in your feedback get those reviews coming in podcast at the b1m.com Now, also in the news is a very interesting section this week. We are heading over once again to Saudi Arabia, home of mental giga projects that seem to be coming out week after week, where they have announced plans for a 400 meter tall by 400 meter long in all directions cube shaped skyscraper in Riyadh that's going to be large enough to hold 20 Empire State Buildings. This is off the charts. You thought you thought lines were crazy. You thought circles around. Burj Khalifa in Dubai were crazy. We've now got cubes as well, guys. Um, I should say the the Bacarp, which is what it's called, is going to rise as the centerpiece of a new 19 square kilometer district called Moraba that's set to comprise over 25 million square meters of floor space and create 104,000 homes. If this thing's built, it's going to be one of the biggest structures ever constructed by mankind. That 400 meter high, as I said, it's going to be matched by a 400 meter length in all directions. So imagine the Empire State and then turned sideways and arranged in a cube. In terms of height and dimension, it's just absolutely enormous. It's being created as a kind of a, what they, they call it a premium hospitality, a premium hospitality destination, which is like the most salesy speak PR you can ever you could ever get. But in the cube itself, there's going to be two million square meters of floor space a central atrium around this uh, spiralled tower, and then the central atrium is going to have this like VR screen around it, this immersive VR screen where the, the mood, the environment can be changed at any moment and you can transport people from this entertainment complex into another world entirely. It's quite interesting they've done that because this is, if you think about a 400-metre tall and 400-metre-deep building, there's not going to be a lot of natural light coming into the middle, so using it as a cinematic VR, you know, entertainment space is kind of one of the only options it could be. This has completely blown up across our social media over last week. Uh, It's, as you can see, pretty out there. Lots of people saying, is it going to be built? What's the point of it? They can't even finish Jedi Tower. They should focus on the line. What do you guys reckon? I, I, um, Saudi, Saudi Arabia, mate, like, are they just are they doing it to get attention or something? Like, are they announcing all of these projects to gain some sort of traction? I'm I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what's going on with Saudi at the moment. If I'm being honest, um, I don't think it looks that good. It looks impressive. It looks really, really, really impressive, but. It, I just don't think it looks that good. It is just a huge, huge, huge Amazon box, isn't it? It's just like <laughs> like you've ordered a mixer for your kitchen and it's just been arrived in this massive box on your doorstep. Classic like, Amazon, oh, though. Classic Amazon. You get a massive box inside like a little book. That's yeah, it. And true. <laughs> true. Very true. Um, I don't know, mate. I just think... Um, I, I, I don't, at least with, you know, the ski resort, is that Trajina or Trajina, something like that? Yeah. Um, like it's a ski resort, right? It's, it's serving a clear purpose. And with the line, arguably, that's that's serving a clear purpose. With this, I I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm just not really convinced by what it's meant to do and how I'm meant to feel about it. Um it did remind me of the, you know, in Mecca, um, there's the there's the box in the middle, the Kaaba, right? So, uh, you know, excuse my ignorance in it, but I think that's how it's like the Kaaba. It, it it reminded me of that, and I, I wondered, ah, is this like a nod to the um, Islamic history and culture of Saudi Arabia, P- possibly? Um, but I don't know. I think the fact that even in the PR stuff, it's been described as like. Um, reinventing a downtown or the world's largest modern downtown i'm like eh. you know is it though is it that is it a downtown or is it just a huge 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 building i don't like i don't really get it like a huge mall mate basically like a big westfield yeah is that what you're getting at i um I, i i disagree with you i i think it looks awesome I think it looks like something out of 
out of a movie. Like when I when I see yeah, when I, I saw the 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 promo video and and obviously the article on the B and M, I think it looks awesome. I just, it's just so unique to me. Um, I, I just find it really. Yeah, it just it just looks cool. Um, I love like the design on the exterior of it. What okay. are you laughing at? Yeah. Like? I'm just, uh, I love the way you yeah, just, Amazon I just box. think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I do. Just like, I just really like it. I love the design. I, do love I like the that even the, 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 the inside that little tower thing that they've got there. I think that looks that it's just so different and unique. I think it looks really cool. Um, I definitely go and visit it. I think it, it'd blow you. If, if they pull this off, it would, it would blow your mind. I think going there, it, it's, you'd never see something like this on earth. I don't think. If you had to go though, if you had to go down Paddy Power, yeah, and put twenty p, put twenty p on this, like actually finishing, would you put would you put twenty p on it finishing? I'll put twenty p on it because I'd would like you? to see it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be optimistic. I'd like to see it happen. I like that, mate. We could do. What, a bit are, the, of what are the odds on the twenty p, Luke? What's you getting? Not if it's from me, mate. Not very good. <laughs> They're not great odds. Ten millions of one. <laughs> yeah. What do Fred? What do you think, mate? Do do you add how how feasible is this? Do you think this is actually so, going to happen? I am going to give a classic Fred Mills long winded answer, Luke. But um, <laughs> going back to what you said earlier about them trying to get attention, yes, they are trying to get attention, right? So this has been delivered by. Saudi Arabia's new Maraba development company, which is the company in charge of building this new district. But mm. that gets its funding and is being led by the country's public investment fund, which is a sovereign wealth fund established back in 2017 that has the goal of diversifying income sources for the Saudi economy. Their entire economy, their country is built on oil revenue. They know it's going to run out one day. They know that climate change and sustainability is coming, so they need to find a different revenue stream. It's not dissimilar to what um, happened in Dubai as well. So mm-hmm. they had a similar strategy where they wanted to diversify their uh, income streams away from oil to tourism. They you know, drew up a plan to build all kinds of crazy projects that no one thought was possible, and then they made them possible because of the kind of budgets and ambition that they that they had there. It's a similar thing in Saudi Arabia, and I think this is actually quite clever. You've got this, this new Marabba district, which is a very kind of straightforward district and you've got homes you've got parks you've got rivers you've got schools you've got hospitals but to generate investment to get it on the front of all the newspapers to get people interested in saying oh yeah i've got a place there they need that landmark anchor thing Mm. and a great big box that's outlandishly ambitious that they've directly referenced to the empire state building a building that everyone knows especially in the u.s does that perfectly. And actually, I think if you look beyond the cube, the bigger strategy here is is pretty compelling. And I think it's the kind of thing that will work because there is so much intent behind it from the very top of the Saudi royal family downwards to make this happen. There's so much at stake. I think I think it will happen. Of course, does the cube look like the renders? Will the line look like the renders? Remains to be seen. I can't answer that question, but I I think there's a lot of intent here. I think they have been quite burned by the Jeddah Tower story, which was a private development, mm. not a government development. And I think there is a lot of desire to prove people wrong. Do you do you think this is the most realistic project that's going to come out of like the three the three big boys out of Saudi right now, like the Lion, Trajina, and and this? Uh, I mean, Trajina is probably the most realistic. I think this, as a feat of engineering, this box is is doable. I'd be very interested to see how it comes together, how the structure works, uh, how the foundations work, how you build something that big and heavy in one place and keep it from sinking, or you know that kind of stuff. Would be really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I I do think it's feasible. I think the least feasible is probably the line. I just cannot see that in my head. I cannot picture a 500-meter-tall mirrored skyscraper in the desert. I can't get it. But I think yeah, I, the danger is as we get older, I know I'm the oldest person on this podcast, you get a bit more jaded and skeptical about things. I showed this video to my son because it, it came out on Friday, and Friday night I was chatting to him, showing it. And his reaction was, oh, that's amazing. I want to go there. Let's go. Can we go? Wow. And 
you don't get that from him with Birmingham's new districts or <laughs> HS2. You know? <laughs> going back Touché. to kids, go, go very pure. Kids see things very purely. And he was like, Touché. I want to go to the cube. You know, I haven't yeah. told him yet that it's in Saudi Arabia, but um, there you go. There is, a cu- <laughs> there is a cube in Birmingham though, mate. So maybe take him there instead. And it's it's called the cube. So there we go. There you go, son. <laughs> Let us know what you think about this one, guys. Obviously, we want your comments and feedback on the uh, the Saudi Arabia cube, the macabre, as it's called. There is a crazy CGI video we've put out on well, all of our social channels. So go and have a look at that. There's also an article on the B1M website with a bit more. Sorry, the B1M website with a bit more clarity and uh, substance to it that kind of sets out what they're trying to do and where the ambitions are. We should say there's been a, a few concerns raised around this. People have raised concerns about the environmental impacts, the allegations of human rights abuses. So there's a lot of nuance and depth to most stuff that happens in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia, as we know. But uh, we want your feedback. We really want to hear what you think about this one. Um, is it a bit blocky? Way for a cube-shaped skyscraper. Mm-hmm. Send your comments in. Send your feedback in. Podcast at the B1M.com. Now, we are swinging over to another urban development story, which has blown up in the last couple of weeks or so, which is all about 15-minute cities. Now, you wouldn't think there'd be something to argue about here, but it turns out there is. The world's gone mad. We're in 2023. Uh, Where to begin with this one? I kind of give give a bit of background. We'll start with what 15-minute cities are and then what the opposition is, and then we can talk about some of the stuff that's been happening. 15-minute cities was uh, this new concept that's been coined kind of around the lockdowns of 2020. It's basically this concept where everything you need is within 15 minutes of your front door. So your doctors, your hospital, the place where you work, your local shop, everything you, you need to access is within 15 minutes of your front door. And the idea of that is that it's supposed to uh, remove the need for driving a car or traveling quite so much or you know generating pollution through traveling and and to foster better community cohesion it's come to the fore a bit as our cities have got a lot bigger because there's this strategy now that because our cities are so big and so sprawling in some instances they need to be formed of a number of smaller communities that make up those cities that's how they become sustainable that's how they reduce the the impact they're having on the environment that's how you tackle congestion is by kind of removing the need for some people to travel quite as far as they as they have done before it's closely linked to climate change as i said because there is this ability to cut pollution by cutting car use um but also there's loads of other benefits in terms of as i said community cohesion um creating more sustainable places for people to live uh creating better environments for particularly older people to live so there's all these kind of benefits to it. It's somewhat been kind of hijacked in the last few weeks by some far-right groups who think that this is a pretext for trapping people in certain areas, taking away their civil liberties, preventing them from going outside their 15-minute city and a way of exerting control. And there's all kinds of crazy stuff online around this, which is just it just makes no sense at all. There's a lot of misinformation. There's shots of uh, building sites in China which have like gated entry to them that have been held up as if they are gated entry communities that you can't ever leave. And now there's all these people raging about 15 minute cities. There's been a full blown protest in Oxford, the UK, over the weekend, which was crazy. Funnily enough, Oxford is a park and ride drivable city. <laughs> Doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, Lawrence Fox is amongst the uh, the faces on this. Again, Lawrence Fox, uh, anyone that doesn't know outside the UK, was a uh, an English actor. Actually, not not a bad actor. He was in a lovely little uh, TV show called Lewis. We played Sergeant Hathaway, uh, set in Oxford, as it happens, a town he knows well. Uh, again, if you're outside the UK, you haven't heard of Lewis. It's kind of like Murder She Wrote. It's a lovely little show. You could watch it with your nan <laughs> on a Sunday night. It's it's murder mystery. It's gripping and compelling, but not offensive. Compelling, but not offensive, is what I'd say. Rather like me in many ways, like me in many ways. Anyway, he's now come out and started a political party and become a bit kind of uh, a bit radical in his views, and is now the the face of this fifteen minute cities protest. It's it's scary how this has been. You know, a, an urban planning discussion has been hijacked and turned into this kind of extremist debate, but. 
I think I think there's something deeper going on here, and I think you need to look beyond the the screaming extremes of the people on one side saying we should ban cars entirely, cycle everywhere, and not travel any distance at all, and the others who are saying at the other extreme, this is a way to lock cities down, keep people in their homes, and take away your civil liberties. The answer is somewhere in the middle, and the online debate doesn't really doesn't really you know create a lot of space for that to come out. 15 minute cities are not a restriction on where on where you can go or can't go it's just the idea that if a shop is closer to you if your doctors is closer to you that's a good thing because it's going to encourage more sustainable forms of transport like walking or riding a bike no one is saying that you can't leave your area to go to the theater or go and see friends or go on holiday or go to the airport or go to different doctors whatever you want to do is totally fine it's just this principle of urban planning where if we build homes and societies where people are closer to the things they need that's a good way of creating more sustainable travel and minimizing car use not eradicating car use there are people who say we should ban cars entirely i don't think that's practical there are other people who say we should have just cars and nothing else that again isn't practical like i think there's this kind of as i said there's this the extremes of the debate and the answer really is somewhere in the middle you know 15-minute cities, it's good to have a debate around it. There are people who, you know, business owners who think that actually people being able to drive a car is better for their business, it's better for deliveries. There are people who have uh, disabilities or access issues who need a car parked up outside their house to get in and out. Again, fire, fire departments, fire engines need to be able to get into these areas to put fires out, ambulances, whatever it may be. I think we're not saying that it's going to eradicate cars entirely. It's just this this idea that making our cities more walkable, more sustainable, yeah. will be better for our communities and better for the environment. The The other extreme is, is LA. We have highways everywhere. It's impossible to get anywhere without a car, and pollution goes through the roof. But the, yeah. the trouble is the whole thing's been hijacked by, I'm sorry to say, the, the, the far right who think this is some some big conspiracy by the government to shut us down and control our lives and the far left who think that it should just be you know some sort of nirvana car free nirvana which is not practical either so yeah wouldn't it be easier just to invest in better public transport you know what i mean because then you're using public transport you don't you're not walking uh, it depends sorry, on the you're city not, you're not driving yeah, yeah. I, know, I know what you're saying i'm just yeah i'm just yeah. obviously just disgusting i'm not really pushing one side but you know, with, with with it as well. Would you would that um, sort of push like lack of diversity in areas? You know what I mean. If everything's there, you can actually leave. Yeah, you're going to leave your own yeah. area. You're just going to stay there. It's just going to be. It's it's no longer like you know, London's like a melting pot, right? I, is it still going to be a melting pot? Are people just going to stay in their own communities? And you know, but people don't it, stay in their own communities, do they? People don't stay in their own communities. This this is a principle that. I know it's been badged up and called 15-minute cities since kind of 2020, largely led by by a UN initiative. But the concept of living near a shop is is not is not fascist. It's not some kind of terrible takeover. It's 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 convenient. It's how the yeah. world works. We've lived we've lived in villages and towns for centuries, if not millennia. It's how human societies have worked. Like I live in a small village. I've got everything I need in my village. We've got a little shop. We've got a pub. <laughs> the two things I need. <laughs> There's a local school. Yeah, you know, it's. But I, st- I do leave my village. I do get out and talk to other people. Like it's not that. This is this is to me no different to how the world has worked for a very long time. Mm. We're just saying that as our cities get really really big, a way to cut car use and monitor pollution is to build in a sustainable way where people can walk a bit. We're not saying you can't leave your area. You can do what you like. Well, I, I think I think this conversation is very much being fueled by an American lens, you know, or a new world lens, right? I think the idea of a 15-minute city or whatever you want to call it, yeah, even branding it a 15-minute city, I think, is a bit daft. Um, but this is very common in Europe. Like I live I live in a 15-minute area, right? I probably yeah. live in like a 10, five-minute area. Me, that's where I live. Um, and I think a lot of people in Europe already do. I think that the um, the issue some people might have with it, and it's, it's kind of what Liam said, is that it could be seen as maybe a bit classist. If I'm, if I'm playing devil's advocate, like you say, Fred, 
you know, people do move. Some people can't afford to move. They are stuck in that area forever. And that's where a problem can come up, right? Um, but I think some people, they're just unreasonable. People aren't, aren't happy to have a conversation. They don't want to talk about this. The idea of a doctor being near you or a shop being near you or more independent shops being near you, I think, yeah, like that's fine. If you don't think that, all right, fair enough, but you're probably not right. Um, and that's, that's that. I, I, I think that, um, but people, people, people are scared, aren't they? And people have just come out of a really weird time in history and people are like charged up and they want to, they want to try and fix things, but maybe, I don't know. I think there's a lot of complexity to this sort of com- conversation, a lot of nuance, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm all for it. I think. I don't. If I'm being completely honest, I don't get the big deal. I don't know. I don't understand why people are complaining. I do no, not get it. I don't. That's get the it. bit that kind of it saddens me that things like this that we live in a world now where things like this can become a big deal. And I think a lot of it goes down to yeah. the way we talk to each other these days and the way social discourse has, has gone. You know, there's some terrible videos around this of people just shouting at each other in the streets, not listening to each other, not letting the other person answer. And I have to say, I think it's on both sides of the argument to, to Liam's point. There is, there are people who are genuinely scared of this, right? They're fearful of it. There's very little trust in our governments these days for all kinds of reasons. But yeah, if people are concerned about this, if they have concerns about this, it's important to listen to them and respectfully work out a way forward together and engage with each other and listen and talk about it and a lot of the debate i've seen around it is either people writing very short pithy statements on twitter very passionately defending it and calling other people idiots and and you know the far right and labeling them terrible things or or the same thing the other way you know people saying it's it's some sort of fascist takeover and the the wokerati are in the wrong and all the rest of it i i I put some on Twitter about it because I felt I should. I wanted to say something, but I did it, and you can go and look at it. I did it in a very gentle, polite, conversational way. I think I could have very easily stood up and said, "This is this is a load of rubbish. These people are crazy. Stop these protests." That doesn't help, does it? It doesn't help the conversation. It just drives a bigger wedge between people. What we need is conversation. We need to talk. We need to sit down together and get back to normal life because. There's these two, as I said, I keep talking about it, but there's these two crazy extremes, but in the middle is the silent majority. You know, people just trying to do the job, earn some money, raise the kids, look after their house, have a nice life. And those people care about the planet, they care about societies, they have friends and family with differing views, they all get on. That's how our world should be run by, not these extremes on social media. Mm. Let us know what you think about this one, guys. Obviously, this is a very contentious debate at the minute out there. Um, lots of stuff around it. Send us your thoughts. Podcast at the B1M.com. Yeah, let us know. 15 Minute Cities, get your feedback coming in. Swinging over to a bit less contentious uh, topic now. We've had, we've had a big cube in Saudi Arabia and some 15 Minute Cities. We're now going to go over to China, a district of Shenzhen, where the Ark Ingalls Group have unveiled two new skyscrapers, which uh, are going to be built on Shenzhen Hong Kong Plaza. I really like these. We've got trees on buildings again, right? So they are kind of, the architects call them leaning. They're sort of angled in towards each other. They're going to have 20,000 square meters of new public space around them. Work's going to start in 2025. I really like these buildings. They're classic Yark Ingles. They've stuck some trees on. You know, we can't we can't get away from that. But I think these look pretty good. What do you guys reckon? Mm. Yeah, I like them. I like them, mate. I think they, they're not necessarily my favourite skyscraper or my favourite um, architectural highlight of the last few months, but I, I like them. I think they're really good. If they were being built somewhere in London, I'd be really happy with them. I think the cladding is the most impressive thing about it. The cladding's like a little bit unusual, a little bit different. If anything, it reminds me of the old 22 Bishops Gate, old pinnacle design that was being built in London. So... Yeah, I like it, mate. I think it's I think it's a bit of a win. What do you reckon, Liam? Yeah, I like it too. I think it's a good addition to the skyline for sure. I love mm. that little um, walkway under the skyscraper yeah. in, the, in the second pick. And, yes. and I, to be honest, the, the the trees actually look quite cool. I, I actually quite like them. 
Me too. It's, it's got like a high line feel. If you, you guys mm. can't see, there's like this elevated walkthrough, elevated walkthrough going through the skyscraper and out the other side, and you've got these like hanging gardens above it. Mm. If it looks that good, I'm in. You know, I mean, this is the guy that brought us the spiral, which is not very green so far, but uh, <laughs> just just uh, heads up on that one, old Bianca. But um, renders look nice. Yeah, it's <laughs> a win fan. for me. Big fan, mate. Yeah, big fan. <laughs> That was an easy one, wasn't it, compared to the other, to the other one? <laughs> unanimous, unanimous. Oh, we're all a bit, um, a... we're all a bit tired from this big debate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> few, few comments. People saying, "Awesome, more cool buildings coming to the city. This is the most modern area in the most modern city of China. Very excited to see this come out." Lots of emojis. Again, you like your emojis. Doesn't make for a good uh, podcast comment section. People saying China building amazing stuff. Very nice skyscrapers. These green skyscrapers are breathtakingly gorgeous in block caps. Oh. That will nod oh. to you, Mr. Bly. Yeah. Uh, a very long comment that I can't read. People saying, this looks good. Big, uh, big is on fire. Yeah. Again, the sun is shining in the renders. People saying that it doesn't <laughs> quite match the pollution in the city. But um, there you go. Let us know what you think about this one, guys. Uh, as I said, same email address again. Podcast at the B1M.com. Now, on the subject of emails, I'm sure it's been another busy Luke for week. Uh, I'm sure it's yeah. been another busy week for Luke making up <laughs> some uh, some stuff and getting it in. What have you uh, What have you fabricated this week, Luke? Right. What have I fabricated? I've made a new email address, and it's um it's from Alan Price. Okay, that's the new name. And Alan goes, "Hey guys, long time listener, first time messenger." He goes, "Let's go." Love the BIM, by far my most favorite podcast, and I'm an avid podcast listener, five hours a day, every day. I've obviously listened to every cast and will continue to listen. The witty banter sets it off on the BIM. Haha, <laughs> jokes, the B1M. Now, not sure why Luke likes the walkie-talkie, such a disappointing building. You seem to like, you seem like you would have better taste. <laughs> Does. And he goes, does Liam still have his pet sheep? <laughs> and then I ate that from. Yeah, go on, mate. Do you, no, that's do all right. You? Mate, go for it. Right. Uh, no, mate. We, go- I probably ate it a long time ago. <laughs> Good man. He says, from England, living in Australia for the past 15 years, definitely here to stay. Love all the updates on what's new and up and coming. Not sure if you can do anything to improve the cast. Maybe do two shows a week. Keep up the top work. Big buff Fred and the team. Five stars all the way. <laughs> Alan Price from Australia. <laughs> P.S. The theme music rules. Thanks, Alan. Is this... <laughs> <laughs> Did you add the PS just then? You just added it on? Yeah. Yeah, mate. I did. (laughs) No. Oh, we like Alan. I like Alan. Doesn't like like Alan. You're in. You're in my book, mate. Yeah. I don't I don't know why he's jumped at me for not for liking the walkie talkie. It was it was originally Liam. Liam was the one pushing it, but I I just supported Liam. I was like, yeah, no, I like it too, Liam. Yeah. Say it with your chest. Say it with your chest. Let's gang up on Fred. Let's get, let's get Fred, Fred secretly loves it, mate. Fred secretly loves it. I think he it. does. Yeah, he yeah. does. He does. He loves London too much to not like it. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. I love Good London a lot, and that's why I don't like it. So, you know, it's a scar <laughs> on the face of the city. Um, yeah, good old Alan. We like Alan. Good day, mate. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you. So there we go. That is, uh, that's this week's social bit, mate. Thanks for sending that in, Alan. Send in other stuff, people. Cheers. Lovely. Did I see yeah. a nice little uh, Apple podcast review as well that's landed? Oh, I uh, maybe. <laughs> but I've, I've, not, I've not got that ready on my laptop, Fred, so maybe Luke's we can save Fred's. that. Maybe we can save that. Let's cut this bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Luke hasn't written it. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't written it, so he doesn't know. So, oh, this is a legit one. Oh, no. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, look on the front end. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I read it out. I've got it here. Do you want to read it out? I'll send it to you so you can read it out. No, no, go on. Uh, so this has come from uh, Rijoey, who said, uh, This is the top gear of the construction industry. 
Love listening to this podcast. Great banter between Fred, Liam and Luke while being educational. Along with the B1M and Tomorrow's Build, this is a true public service this is a true public service broadcasting in the name of BBC, ITV, Channel 4, etc. in the way it informs people like me about this fascinating fascinating industry. But he says, but Luke exclamation mark you said Manchester is England slash the UK's second city in the Sweden episode as second cities tend to lack identity and are underrated. That sounds more like Birmingham than Manchester to me. West Midlands as the city region name. (laughs) Besides, Brum is bigger in most metrics and has a larger metro GDP. Not to say Manchester isn't a great city, though. Right. Okay. Third, Third largest airport in the UK, Manchester Airport. Birmingham's not on there. Manchester actually has a working oh. metro system and they can they have a proper what's it called like Greater Manchester they can actually elect a mayor of Manchester like a mayor of London. Can't do that in Birmingham. Yeah. Manchester is the second city has been since like the 2000s. So. Sorry mate. Cheers to the review though. But so it's a now, review. Now we know why Luke didn't read it out. Oh, I forgot about it. <laughs> I'm in Birmingham like all the time. I'm in Birmingham all the time with family. I do. I have a love for Birmingham, but yeah, I think Manchester. Come on, come on. I thought you were going to take the opportunity to apologise, but uh, you've you've clapped back instead. <laughs> what? <laughs> apologise, <laughs> Luke. <laughs> you wouldn't apologise, no. Just come on, mate. I'm a little firecracker. Yeah, when it comes to this sort of stuff. I'm, I'm on his side, to be honest. Like, I do kind of understand what he means. I think the second city is a big debate, you know, by population and size and economic impact. It's probably do a video on it. Do a video on it, Fred. Birmingham. Yeah, mm. that's probably not. It's probably Manchester. But okay, we'll we'll save it for another time. We'll save it for another time. Another debate. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Um, guys, uh, that was a lovely five-star review. We've got lots of five-star reviews coming in across uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please get them coming in. Also, Luke mentioned to me about you sending in voice messages, which I didn't I didn't know how you could do this. But basically, if you've got an iPhone, there is a voice memo app. You can go on there, record your message, and then attach it to an email and send it to podcast at the B1M.com. I sound like a dad here. I was like, I'm explaining Keep this to it my clean. Yeah. Keep it clean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you have another form of smartphone not an iphone a what's wrong with you and b i can't help you because i don't know imagine there's some kind of voice recording app on those folding <laughs> samsung things there are yeah there, the nokia there are, mate. the nokia the blackberry i don't know <laughs> get your voice messages coming in guys we're going to play them out on the show uh so yeah get us get us coming in podcast at b1m.com good episode guys how would you rate it out of 10 probably four Four out of ten. <laughs> nah, mate. It's always a ten out of ten with you gangsters, isn't it? Come on. I'll give it a ten. It was good. I had heaps of fun. Good time. What, what's disappointed me is that uh, there was some good debate in this podcast episode, but mm. for anything we've spoken about in the last hour, this will always be the Prince Albert podcasts. You know, mm. it's, it's just been framed <laughs> by what Liam said at the beginning. <laughs> it will always be... <laughs> tarnished the one with the banana story yeah tarnished, tarnished. <laughs> uh, if this is your first taste of, of the world's best construction podcast then thanks for listening through that anecdote and staying in for the whole show we hope you've enjoyed it give, please give us a review send us some feedback send us your voice memos and we we're going to see you next week next week